I was worried it was getting a little dodgy in the middle part, but then that finale. <laughs> wow! Hello and welcome to Two for One, the podcast where we take two movies based on the same source material and we watch them both and then we talk about them. I am David. And I'm Claire. Today we are going to be talking about Planet of the Apes, the movie in 1968, and the movie in 2001 of the same name. They are based on the 1963 French novel Planet of the Apes, or Monkey Planet in some translations, by Pierre Boll. The first Planet of the Apes movie was created in 1968, starring Charlton Heston as astronaut George Taylor. He's part of a crew of astronauts traveling light years from Earth while in hypersleep, allowing thousands of Earth years to pass while, due to time dilation, they age only a year or so. Suddenly, their vessel crash lands on a strange planet, and when they finally come upon some humans, they are immediately attacked, hunted down by apes on horses. Now a captive of the apes, Taylor has been rendered speechless due to a neck injury during the attack, but we also realize the native humans on this planet are also mute. We also learn more about the ape society. The gorillas form a general security and police force. Dr. Zira, played by Kim Hunter, is one of the chimpanzee scientists, and she cares for Taylor and is interested in his strange behaviors. Meanwhile, Maurice Evans's character, Dr. Zayas, part of the orangutan elite who hold political and religious power in their society, he doesn't believe humans can possess any sort of higher intelligence. Taylor manages to escape from his cage, but is captured again before making it out of the ape town. He's caught up in a net where he utters the famous words, Take your sticking paws off me, you damn dirty ape! Revealing he can speak. This leads to a tribunal to review if his use of language actually indicates intelligence, but the orangutans remain unconvinced. So, Dr. Zira helps Taylor escape to the Forbidden Zone, where her partner Cornelius, played by Roddy McDowell, shows evidence he's found of ancient, intelligent human societies. Dr. Zayas and the guerrilla police catch up to them, and although he destroys the evidence of the archaeological dig, he allows Taylor and Nova, the human woman who is bonded to him, to leave. While riding away down the beach, Taylor discovers the remains of the Statue of Liberty, revealing that he has been on Earth all along. Quite a mindfuck at the end of that movie. Uh, it, I think that's probably the most famous part, right? It's the, be, uh, yeah. the reveal at the end, probably one of the more famous twists in history, along with the uh, Vader luke situation before we get any deeper into uh the 1968 planet of the apes uh why don't we talk about the other movie that we watched which is the 2001 version and just to be clear they did make i think four sequels to the original that came out you know through the 70s and in recent years in the past decade they've made a new series uh the Rise, the Dawn, and the War of the Planet of the Apes, I think. Uh, so we're not even going to be touching those. I've never seen I've never seen the sequels to the original, and uh, we didn't watch the new series at all. We're talking about the 2001 version. So 
This was directed by Tim Burton, and it follows Mark Wahlberg's Captain Leo Davidson, a U.S. Air Force astronaut who gets transported by an electric storm from our solar system in 2029 to an unknown time and location. As he emerges from his wrecked spaceship, he falls in with a group of primitive-looking humans running from unknown oppressors. He's captured along with them, soon learning that he has crashed on a planet ruled by humanoid apes, uh, and that includes, like, the 68 version, chimpanzees, gorillas, and orangutans. Davidson orchestrates an escape with the help of a group of sympathetic apes, and he searches for members of his former crew while being pursued by the chimpanzee General Thade, played in this movie by Tim Roth, uh, obviously in heavy chimpanzee makeup. The film culminates in an epic battle between apes and humans, interrupted by the arrival of Davidson's former crew member, Pericles, who is a chimpanzee test pilot, uh, and he is living proof that humans and apes can live side by side. The battle over, Davidson returns to Earth using Pericles' shuttle, and he goes back through the magnetic storm to 2029, and he lands on the National Mall in Washington, D.C., only to find that General Thade somehow beat him there. Earth is now also ruled by apes, perhaps making it a planet of the apes, but that's for someone else to decide. Uh, so that's the, that's the 2001 remake. Um, Tim Burton, Mark Wahlberg. Should we get into it? Yeah. Absolutely. So, time for us to discuss the similarities, differences, and our thoughts on each. Well, the motion picture teleplay was uh, respectful and exhibited tastefulness and class. Who made you an expert all of a sudden? So, I think a good first question is definitely, how do the apes look? Yeah, I think both of these movies, like, take the look of the film very seriously. You know, in 68... I think, you know, the, the landscapes as they're walking through and before they even know that they're on the planet of the apes, everything is beautiful. Yeah. But obviously, the real question is, like, what do these creatures look like? And uh, I obviously, I think pro- makeup prosthetics have gotten a lot better. Certainly. Since Certainly. 1968. Yes. I mean, 2001, this is a year before... Uh, Fellowship of the Ring comes out, which maybe has the best prosthetics of any movie to date. I think it shows. I think they they look really good in contrast to the 1968 apes where, you know, they kiss, but their mouths don't move. It's so cute, though. They just go... (laughs) Yeah, they kind of, like, press their mouths together, and, like, that's a... They make a kissing noise. And then when they talk, like, sometimes it looks okay, but sometimes it looks, like, not great. Yeah. Um, in the 2001 version, I think they are very believable as uh, as creatures that you know that talk and that move in a natural way, right? Yeah, but not all equally so. And I know, like, you made the comment after watching the movie that the gorillas just look so good, mm-hmm. and they do look so good. They and do. I think they also made Fade look really, really good. Yeah. So it baffles me that Helena Bottom Carter's character, Ari, looks bad. Yeah, she almost looks like the same as the 1968, where it's just like you're basically wearing a mask and there's no real facial expressions. Yeah, which maybe is like an homage 
but they clearly put a lot of effort like like you said especially the gorillas into making them believable characters and believable like physically that i don't understand why the chimpanzees looked so not great but i didn't think she looked great at all but but okay so was fade he's a chimpanzee right yeah so why does he look so good I think because and the others he's, look like crap. I think because he's like the primary antagonist and they were like, we need to make this guy look really good. And I thought he was very expressive, you know? Yeah. I didn't think he looked quite as good as the gorillas. No, the gorillas were on another level. Yeah. Yeah. But like, clearly they spent a lot of time, uh, you know, making them move like apes, giving them, giving them enough like freedom to move their face even with all the makeup that we could mm-hmm. kind of see what they were thinking and yeah I, I don't know why some of them came out so much better than others and you know you've also got Paul Giamatti which is like a really weird character he plays an orangutan yeah. slaver why would you get Paul Giamatti to play me T roles like that one you're not really supposed to hate him as a bad guy I guess like he's kind of a neutral character he's a mistake i would say but i love paul Giamatti. but he's like he's the only one that's recognizable underneath the makeup like he's doing all this like paul giamatti like shifty yeah. eye movement you know i didn't even know that it was helena bottom carter which like i should have but like i didn't even think about that until the movie was over oh really um hmm. and i wouldn't have recognized tim roth at all uh so you know i think they i don't know they really, they did look amazing. And I, something you said a moment ago about their movement, like Helen Bottom Carter's chimpanzee shows up and is having an argument with Paul Giamatti's orangutan pretty early in the movie, and she's like climbing around on branches and whatnot, and it's just it's very much she's moving like a chimp yeah and i also wonder like how much work was put in by the the stunt work in this movie because of of the amount of visuals we get like that um and there's just there's no effort in the 68 version to make them move move like like they were yeah well i was reading up on it and it sounded like tim burton that was like one of the things that was you know his vision of the movie is I want them to move like apes so I think mm-hmm. all the ape actors got sent to like ape school and were like you know had a had some sort of training to, to yeah. move more like they apes. all walked very like bow legged too yeah. which was distracting sometimes but there were a lot of things like that in Tim Burton's movie the 2001 yeah. one where I had to remind myself it's distracting because they're apes yeah right 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 well it was also distracting to me because a lot of it um really looks like lord of the rings and the way that orcs are depicted and i remember when i first saw that movie my mom was like it really reminded me of the the apes from planet of the apes you know and i was like yeah i could see that but now, like, having seen Lord of the Rings a million times and having not seen Planet of the Apes in the last 20 years, I was like, yeah, it looks exactly like that. And I also wonder, like, maybe um, the flying monkeys from The Wizard of Oz, maybe mm-hmm. that was kind of like a, an influence for him in, you know, how he wanted them to walk and, uh, you know, kind of the presence that they had. Because the flying monkeys had their own sort of rhythm of, of walking they? and... Were they were they actors or were they puppets? 
I'm not. I think they were actors in costume, but like, huh. it's really only. Yeah, I haven't seen it in a long time. I've but heard that people were very scared of the flying monkeys. Yeah, my brother's very scared of the flying monkeys. Yeah, yeah. interesting. But no, I mean they do have like a, I think like distinctive uh, way that they inhabit the physical world and they're, the way that they fight is um, they're always like jumping really high in the air and landing oh, I on hated people. That. <laughs> that was a little silly. That was a little over the top. It was like they were Jedi people. Flying yeah, it was a little this. like it was a little like you're almost flying because gorillas can't really. I, I've never seen a gorilla try to jump, but I imagine that a gorilla can't jump very high. Yeah. You know, because they weigh a lot. Uh, but, like, then the way that they fight where they're, like, not punching, but, like, sort of bringing their arms down uh, just repeatedly, that seemed very real to me, you know? You know, I think in the in the 1968 version... You kind of wonder why? Why is Charlton Heston able to like beat the crap out of all yeah, these gorillas? He is, he's taller than most of them. Yeah, and he's beating them in fights. Yeah, it's like I've seen gorillas and orangutans, <laughs> yeah. and I don't think that this guy could beat them up. You know? Yeah. yeah. Uh, even if they're like evolved to not be fighters or whatever. Yeah, exactly. So it's and the outfits. I think the 1968 version gets some grief for the rubber masks, and I, I found it distracting in some scenes, but not all the time. Like if you're just listening to them talk, yeah. then you can believe they're there. But costuming choices that were, they lacked creativity. I yeah, I don't think it was distractingly bad. I think that if anything, it was just that all of the gorillas looked the same. All of the chimps that weren't main characters look the same, and all of the orangutans that weren't main characters look the same. Yeah, and I think it's meant to be visually helpful to show like the casts in their society. Mm-hmm. All the orangutans are wearing orange. All of the chimps are wearing green. All of the gorillas are wearing like I don't know their police uniform. Well, I got thoughts about the whole cast system in that movie, but <laughs> we can talk. We'll about certainly that. circle back to that. Yeah. yeah. So I can see that choice being as a visual aid, but mm-hmm. it, it did, yeah, just lead to not very interesting looking outfits. But yeah. the fact that they were wearing shoes with soles is a little silly. On the other side of that coin, though, there were way too many foot gags in the 2001 version. Like There was a couple. There were some people putting ideas into that movie where they were like, wouldn't it just be funny? Oh, you know what was funny? What? Was the one where the gorillas are playing uh, poker or whatever. They're playing cards. And then he, one of them's cheating. And he's like, what do you have up your sleeve? And he like shows him. And he's like, your other sleeves. And he's got a card up his leg sleeve. That was pretty funny. That was like the fourth foot gag in the whole thing. I don't know. Maybe it just never got old to me. Maybe I was just like down the whole time. I don't know. I mean, I thought it was maybe a little clever. The main one is Helena Bonham Carter's in her room writing, and then you discover that oh, she's writing yeah. with her foot instead of with funny. her hands. That was funny. Yeah, I mean, they they clearly wanted wanted them to be apes. If I can move us into sort of the, the way that affected the setting of the movie, mm-hmm. uh, which is sort of the same artistic creative choices being made, I think Tim Burton wanted to replicate something about how apes live together. I don't know a lot about that aside from, I mean, I'm pulling on my knowledge of the cartoon movie Tarzan here. That mm. is literally what what I'm going off of. But basically they're living in like, 
I would describe it as like a stone hive. Mm-hmm. But that was annoying to me because it didn't feel urban. They like called it a city at one point and it felt not like that. And then no, when I... he's making the escape, uh, Mark Wahlberg's character is like running through multiple people's homes because it's technically all just one building. I don't know. I, that was another part where I had to stop and think about it and be like, that's weird. Okay, but why is it weird? Because they're trying to replicate ape communities. Well, I, I think they weren't necessarily trying to replicate anything about the way that apes actually live in the real world. I think they were trying to recreate like a a believable city, but make it more vertical. So that, and I think that is like spatially confusing because we don't have that. But it reminded me, like, I played a lot of, like, video games with vertical Mm -hmm. things. It reminded me a lot of that. So, like, I can... I feel like I could already understand, like, spatially what was going on. And uh, it didn't confuse me, you know? And I think what they were really going for is they really wanted it to be, like, like an ancient... I mean, obviously, there was, like, the whole ancient Rome thing. But they wanted it to be, like, to feel like an ancient city, but more vertical. Oh, like King Louis. Yeah, kind of, kind of. More like, um, you know, like Rome or ancient Greece. Well, I think I see the constraint there. I see the idea, but then also, like, visually, how do you convey that? But they didn't, I guess, put in the necessary efforts to do that. And that was something consistently in 2001 that didn't happen. We don't get the same, like, sweeping landscape shots and everything that we have in the 1968 version. Mm-hmm. Like, the amount of time that the three astronauts took just walking across the landscape in 68... Which is which one really, of the better parts of the movie. And it settles you into the, mm-hmm. the space where even if you know the ending, you're sort of like, what if this was, like, a different planet, you know? And you're just yeah. lost in this desert. I mean, I definitely spent of some of that time being like, oh, this is the Grand Canyon. But still, some of the time was, you know, you're taking it in and you're following the characters. And uh, the last thing I'll say about the the settings is I think that you're right that Tim Burton could have done a little more to, like, orient you vertically. Because clearly mm-hmm, they built exactly. these vertical sets and they have the apes with the vertical movement. But, like, I don't know, maybe you could make the argument that, like, humans don't orient themselves vertically, so we're seeing it from a human point of view, and that's the way the camera should see it. But I think that you're right, that the camera should help us understand why, you know, if you're in one part of the ape city, it's just as easy to go around the corner as it is to, like, drop a level and go to the house below you. You know what I mean? You're right, we didn't really get that. Well, the last thing I'll say about the sets is... I wasn't impressed with really either of the ape communities. Um, I certainly think 68 did a better job with showing us the planet. But the the ape societies both felt kind of like a high school production to me. I mean, Mm. obviously I've talked about Burtons and I think it just looked like fake rocks and everything too. But there were some just silly choices in 68. I don't know if we've mentioned that one was directed by Franklin Schaffner. Um, I just feel we've been saying Burton's name a lot. Should yeah. throw Schaffner's in there. But uh, in 68, just one example is like the doors to their houses were not quite rectangle, you know? It reminded me of like that Dinosaurs TV show back in the day where it's mm. just like, oh, of course they wouldn't know how to make a 
right angles in order to fit this into a door frame. And it's like anyone designing a door would figure that out, you know? Like, you're trying to tell me that this is an intelligent society, and then you're giving me this silly-shaped quadrilateral. Well, what it really reminded me of was uh, A New Hope, the way that that Tatooine is presented in in Star Wars. Um, Obviously, this came out ten years before that. You know, that's kind of an iconic design. I feel that with the desert community. Did they have weird-shaped doors in Tatooine? They did. I'm just thinking about, like, you know, the scene where they're looking for the droids and they knock on every door and they have these, like, you know, not quite rectangular doors, but they slide. So I I think it looked cool. I think the problem was that the city was, like, the 2001 version felt more like an actual city and the 68 version felt like a little bit of a village. But then you're Mm -hmm. supposed to believe that Dr. Zayas is someone with a lot of power and you're like, how many people really live in this village? Like, it yeah. didn't seem that huge, you know? And they're all living underground, which didn't seem, like, very ape-like to me. It seemed like they were they were kind of living in, like, dugouts. And, like, almost like a hive structure underground. Like, a cave structure. Like, that's where the prison was. And then when he's running through, it's kind of... It is vertical, but it's vertical downward. That's kind of the way I looked at it. I didn't really orient myself that way. I don't feel like we got many scenes of exiting an interior into we didn't. the exterior. We so didn't. I didn't. But then you do get the scenes where he's like running around trying to escape yeah. and stuff. Um, I like the look of the city from the outside, actually. But it didn't I think seem... it could be built up more to make it seem like a city. Yeah, well, it didn't seem like the way that... It didn't seem naturally the way that apes would live. You know, I think that... Oh, certainly. But... I mean, that goes hand in hand with the clothes they're wearing. It's not... (laughs) Or the way they're walking. (laughs) No, no, I I don't know. I mean, well, if you're going to say, like, oh, they should be more ape-like, then I think it also makes sense that they would live in a place that is... uh, that takes advantage of the mobility that apes have over humans, you know? And it didn't seem like it was that. All right, well, I think we can shift gears into probably a very meaty subject for these films and the story in general which is the overall themes the commentary on society that inherently exists in these stories so david you have any initial thoughts on that in 1968 the main themes were environmentalism human nature cruelty and social castes and hierarchies Hmm. And in the 2001 version, I thought the themes were slavery, race relations, fear of others, and democracy and power. I would agree uh, overall. One thing that stood out to me in the 68 version that I don't think I heard in your list, which would be number one theme for me, is science versus religion. Mm -hmm. Uh, Literally presented to us in the conflicts between the chimps and the orangutans. And we should mention the gorillas. There are no gorilla characters in right. that movie. They're just there. Well, there's Julius. Oh, that's right. He's like a jail key person. Yeah, he's right. menial staff in the jail. Oh, good job remembering Julius's name. But yeah. anyhow, I thought that was like the main theme. But then like the secondary theme for that movie, I would say, is humanity. And I think you said something like human nature. That's certainly what... Yeah, human nature... Right, what Charlton Heston, Taylor's character, like his whole musings at the beginning of the movie are like, why does man kill his brother and everything? For 2001, I think, yeah, I just, I agree with your 
assessment. Um, I don't know what the commentary necessarily was, mm-hmm. but the themes were present. Um, definitely the idea of racial superiority or supremacy, like there was that pretty strongly within it. Yeah, very on the nose. And I think you were complaining about, uh, I think there's one part where Paul Giamatti's character just says a bunch of catchphrases like that are sort of adjacent to civil rights and especially in the U.S. Yeah. Um, what, what does he say? He's like... He says, he's, it's played for comedy, which right. is my issue with it. Um, and with a lot of Paul Giamatti's character, even though I love Paul Giamatti, um, and found his character funny at other times. Um, but he says, separate but equal, right? To each their own. And can't we all just get along? Like, yeah, it's a weird phrases. It's a weird selection of phrases for... Yeah. For, and and I, to hit us with them one after the other. Uh, yeah, I guess it's he's meant to be um, like a phony ally. So because we know he's phony because he was literally the one. He's literally everyone. a slave trader. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So I, I think that's the idea. It's very awkward, but I think that aside from those sort of joking references, I think there were stronger, you know, elements of that theme of of race relations and especially in two thousand one because the humans are being used as domestic slaves. Um, but in the 68 version, they are just there for experimentation. So it's more like animal rights. I yeah. mean, well, you could make an argument for the way people have been treated historically. But I think the most direct parallel, you're right. I think it was, these are animals that were mm-hmm. doing things to, and if you think that animals shouldn't be treated this way like that's one thing but it's not it's not that it's not that they're a different race that we're treating this way or something like that they're not like us and it's weird because in 2001 in the beginning of the movie mark Wahlberg's character is doing experiments with animals you know and he never really repents or like or like even thinks about that but that's like that's the theme of the 1968 movie or like that's that's part of the theme of that right yeah and then in 19 in 2001 they're like we're going to explicitly start with that and then never address it at all you know yes. because the humans in, in 2001 are not being experimented on they're just being treated as you know chattel slaves essentially yeah i mean even to go back to the 68 version one of the things that i thought interesting they didn't portray the apes necessarily in terms of the apes are different races, like chimpanzees and uh, and orangutans and gorillas are all different races. More that they were different castes or different mm-hmm. groups within society. And at the beginning of the movie, uh, when Charlton Heston's character is first imprisoned or captured, Dr. Zira was like, or I guess she was talking to Cornelius and they were talking about like their opportunities and he said oh like you have uh you have more opportunities now like now chimpanzees have the same opportunities as orangutans and sort of like the legal system is implying that everybody's equal but then later when you see the tribunal it's three orangutans are the judges and also they're wearing the uniforms of like the judges 
and the uniforms like reflect that they're orangutans so it kind of reminded me of in like legacy legal systems that came from like britain how people still wear like robes and the wig you know Mm -hmm. where it's like this still signifies something and it still came from the this particular cultural heritage you know but like now we're pretending like everybody can attain this but it was never something that meant to signify everybody can attain this you know so i thought that was interesting but that's less racial and more um i guess just more related to like the way that society is structured you know it didn't seem like they were trying to compare it to race relations at least in the united states in 1968 whereas i think that was explicitly racial in 2001 right yes I feel like I missed the opportunity a moment ago when you were talking about the the court scene in 68 where the orangutans are asking Charlton Heston what he knows of their society and why are all apes equal or why the great ape or whoever made all apes equal and Charlton Heston says, well, it appears some apes are more equal than others. Is that what he says? It's, mm-hmm. the, uh, it's the animal farm quote. Yeah, it's George Orwell. Yeah. yeah. Um, Which I thought... I mean, I, I thought that was a pretty perfect indictment of their society. And I don't think... I hear everything you're saying about the caste system. It's very clear in their clothes and in their interactions with each other. But I still don't think that was a primary theme of that movie. I think, like, humanity itself and human nature was overarching. But yeah. I thought it was... A pretty succinct way of being like, yep, that's what's going on here. No, I, yeah, I mean, I think you're right. I think that uh, with the human nature thing, so we start with Taylor, and he's a bit of a misanthrope, and in the first 20 minutes of the movie, when they crash land on the planet, they have a classic, you know, this is what I'm about, this is what you're about, you know, we're accusing each other, we're testing each other. They have one of those scenes, not as good as uh, James and Vesper. But, like, still, I thought it was pretty good, right? Yeah, I thought it was very good. Uh, and for how much I wasn't impressed with Charlton Heston's acting overall, I thought it was his okay. interactions with the other astronauts I thought were great. Yeah. Like, it was much better in but, those moments. But that's when we find out that Taylor, you know, he's very misanthropic, and he he says, I left Earth because I think there has to be something out there that's better than humanity, right? Yeah. He does. And then later, you know, we get Dr. Zayas saying basically the same thing. You know, he's telling him at the end of the movie, we're, we're, better, than we're better than you, you yeah. know, or like there is a reason that we don't trust your kind. There is a reason for like all the things that we do. And then at the end of the movie, Charlton Heston sees the Statue of Liberty and he's like, ah, oh, fuck, he was right. You know, we did this. We fucked up. And it's weird because, like, he's vindicated because that's what he thought the whole movie. But Dr. Zayas is also totally vindicated. Like, they were in total agreement the whole time, you know? It it just, it was a matter of, like, survival for Taylor. And for Dr. Zayas, it was kind of an article of faith that this person had to be destroyed. But, like, they totally agreed, like, about their ethical standards and their view of humanity, right? Well, a couple things there... Yes, overall. And I love having a protagonist go through such challenges, have, like, zero character growth from it, 
and then be proven right about everything they've been saying the whole movie. I thought it was very effectively done. Mm -hmm. Um, I wonder if the apes are actually a better society than humans, or if what we're meant to be taken away from the movie about human nature is more like about civilized society. You know, civilized in quotes there. Mm -hmm. Because Dr. Zaius blows up the archaeological dig like he is purposefully keeping the truth from the people. He has this like pseudo-religious political position where he has too much control over the lives of people in his society. Right, because Taylor says you're both the chief scientist and the defender of the faith and how do those not come into conflict? Right. And uh, and then of course like the, the whole caste system we were talking about before so I wonder if what we are meant, meant to, to think? think that the apes are are fated for the same end result as humans, or if we are meant to think, yeah, there's just something rotten in humans, you know? Well, I think certainly we can't be meant to think that theocracy is the only thing saving us from from doom, right? Like you that, gotta think. That like, <laughs> I think that's not what the movie intends. That the search for knowledge and the search for truth in like a science-oriented way that that's not what's causing our problems dr zayas is also he's the villain of the movie you know he's sort of the theocratic leader right i didn't realize going in like i didn't i'd never seen this movie before like i i knew about dr zayas from the simpsons you know I didn't know he was, like, basically the only villain in the movie, right? Yeah. I think, you know, the, the only thing that's uh, on my list is really an overt, not subtle theme of the 2001 movie, which is, you know, they're, they're clearly drawing a parallel between the ape society that Mark Wahlberg lands in and uh, ancient Rome, I think. You know, they have a Senate that is really weak, and then they have General Thade, who's basically convincing all the senators to give him the power to hunt Mark Wahlberg down, but implicitly kill all the humans while he's doing it and take total control of their society. So I think one of the themes that I, I identified was, like, democracy and, you know, power and how those things interplay. I gotta say, I did not think the word Rome a single time oh, really? during the movie since watching it and preparing for this podcast. No, I. But honestly, I also never really thought about the fact that her, that Helena Bonham Carter's father was a senator. Mm-hmm. Like I know Thade wanted martial law, but if I was thinking of anything, I was just thinking about martial law, not about the government structure of ancient Rome. I mean, I see what you're saying, like the whole, like dictatorship Mm -hmm. structure that they had that you could just put one person in charge right right all right i see that i wonder i mean have you like verified that rome was an inspiration for the political no 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 no. i mean the only research i do is i i look at the wikipedia pages for the movies Mm -hmm. uh which is you know pretty extensive research but uh i i didn't see anything about rome necessarily it just seemed very overt 
that 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 was what they were talking about. It didn't seem like a subtle reference. And I think the idea was for the ape society, the fear of, you know, the fear of outsiders or the fear of loss of control is enough to let them give power to this person. Uh, And, you know, I don't think it's like a super strong theme or anything. I think it was really, yeah, I kind of got the impression that this movie was an excuse for Tim Burton to make his version of a 1960s Hollywood epic to him that was like all right well it's planet of the apes so partially it's a sci-fi epic but also partially it's you know a sword and sandals uh ancient rome you know we got classic like slave capture we got mm-hmm. senators we got uh the crazy general you know we got an epic battle at the end you know i think that's what he wanted to do they did i did um i did think about assyria a good bit in the battle scene because oh. I think they designed the footmen to look like ancient Assyrian soldiers. I think I've got the right civilization there. You know what I'm talking about? The sort of curved conical thing? Yeah. I don't... I can't picture it in But the I think... I mean, I, I'm sure that was just someone looking at... Like, not that they meant to evoke that culture, but just were like, that's a cool-looking... Well, I think that time. And they definitely period. had one scene where an ape took it off its head and stabbed somebody with a pointy bit. Yeah, but I get what you're saying. Um, that 2001, a theme could be sort of the fragility of democracy, you know. Yeah, and I think just the way that that divisions uh, are so easily exploited, you know. Yeah, and- exactly. All right, so science versus religion, surprisingly yeah, present in both movies. I think, like most of its themes, 2001 was more interested in being an action epic and less interested mm-hmm. in driving the point home with what their themes were. Uh, but they do have... I well, mean, I don't know if that's true, but go ahead. Uh, they have a scene... Because I feel like it is not subtle about its themes. They have a scene that really stood out to me, where Tim Roth's character, Thade, grabs Mark Wahlberg and grabs his teeth to pry his mouth open and he yells down into him is there a soul in there yeah it's just it's a such a violation to grab someone like that Mm -hmm. and then such a dehumanizing accusation uh that he wouldn't have a soul because he's not an ape the way you describe that i feel like when you're describing this movie it sounds so fucking awesome and it wasn't that good you know what I mean? And I don't know what the gap is there of, like, why it wasn't as good as it should have been, you know? Because, like, what you just said, doesn't that sound really, like, intense and cool? Yeah, and that moment was really cool, but... Anyway, go ahead. I liked that scene so much that I thought that scene was in the 68 version because the 68 version, in my mind, is is about science versus religion. I mean, before we rewatch this for the podcast... Mm-hmm. But yeah, a lot of conversation in 68 about science versus religion. The orangutans obviously representing religion. The chimpanzees representing science. You know what was cool is that uh, when when Taylor was escaping, I mean, he didn't really escape, but like he tried to escape and he ran through a funeral. That, yes, uh, I liked that. The orangutan priest. Mm-hmm. I liked his little uh, eulogy. 
Yeah, and you get to hear the whole eulogy. It's just like... You never met an ape you didn't like. It's just like, it's a funny, like, uh, you know, it's kind of in the background because it's supposed to be like this intense escape scene, Mm -hmm. but you're just watching this orangutan give a, you know. I will say that that theme comes across most clearly in the, the lengthy court scene that we get, which I think sort of slows down the movie too much. I think the themes that it presents are interesting. It made me wonder what had inspired the uh, the original story. That's part of why, I mean, I know you were laughing when I looked up Scope's monkey trial, because I was like, when did that happen? Maybe I'm just being incepted because I'm watching monkeys in a trial. Mm-hmm. But I was like, maybe they're trying to say something like that, because there, there's a lot of discussion about evolution. Cornelius, Roddy McDowell's character, believes in evolution, and Dr. Zaius of course does not so that sort of conflict is part of their society i actually got more i mean first of all i disagree because i thought the worst part of that movie was everything between when he's captured and the tribunal what? and then i thought when the tribunal happened it really it picked up again and the rest of the movie was good but like in that scene it reminded me a lot of like dread scott because they're like, the Dred Scott holding is, like, you really have no standing to do anything because you're not one of us, right? We don't see you as, you know, whether you want to say, like, a citizen or even human, whatever. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I see. I guess the the religious aspect comes in for me where when they finally give Taylor a chance to speak and, like, prove that he's an intel- an intelligent being just like them, their questions are all, what do you know about our ape beliefs, you know, Mm -hmm. about why are all apes created equal? Those questions, that's when they were, they were made. And there's no reason that he would know anything about their religion. That also... But when you believe that religion is the ultimate truth, then someone who doesn't know it... But I also think that to me that reminded me of like Jim Crow and like having tests for being able to vote that are like subjective and the person who's testing Uh, you. So I think like it could be read multiple ways. Um, I have no idea what way they meant it, right? Clearly, this is meant to be a political movie, I think. Mm-hmm. But I don't necessarily know what, what the politics of the movie are in a weird way. No one knows what it means, but it's provocative. It's the people going. Okay, so I think the next topic that we both wanted to touch on, Charlton Heston and Mark Wahlberg are the two protagonists of the respective films. How did they do? How were their characters presented? How did character development go for both of them? I know I've already mentioned in 68 that character development isn't really part of what his character does and how I kind of mm-hmm. like that. So one thing for me, just to sort of fully round out that thought and then bring it back to Mark Wahlberg, is the opening scenes. Charlton Heston has the first moments in the 68 version all the other astronauts are in hypersleep, and he's just musing to himself. He's sending out a radio transmission, but at least 700 years has passed at this point, so he doesn't know what the state of humanity is on Earth. He's just sort of sending those radio waves out there, where he's saying... Tell me, though, does man, that marvel of the universe, that glorious paradox who sent me to the stars, still make war against his brother? 
keep his neighbor's children starving. And it really sets the tone for the movie, and it comes right before the credits and everything. So I like that it establishes his character, and it establishes some of the depths that the movie will delve into. Having that scene in mind, I found the opening scene of 2001 very jarring because there was so much action. Mark Wahlberg is assisting with the chimpanzee training. He's running simulations for space exploration, but it sets up the whole human-ape relationship, the whole space exploration. I don't know if it establishes any anything about Mark Wahlberg's character. That's exactly right. I think that uh, the first scene of 68, and then subsequent scenes, so you're right, like, he just has this monologue at the beginning, he's the only person on the spaceship, and then they land on the planet, and he and the two other astronauts that survived along with him sort of argue, and through that you get more of his worldview. And from there, you have a character arc, right? Mm -hmm. And I think in 2001, the scenes before he goes to the Planet of the Apes don't do any of that. It's literally just like his relationship with the chimp, which is not very important, and his relationship with a woman that is about to die. Right. It's, it's just, like, not important at all and, like, doesn't tell you anything about him. And one of the things that, like, I actually don't know... I, I don't know for sure. They might have said his name at some point in that scene. Like, 20 minutes later, while he's on the planet, I was like, I have no idea what Mark Wahlberg's <laughs> name is. So he lands. He get he gets... He falls in with the humans... They all get captured. He ends up at the senator's house. The senator's daughter frees him. They escape the city. There's like an action scene. When they're gone, someone is like, hey, what's your name? And then he's like, oh, I'm Captain Leo Davidson. And it's like, is that the first time he said his name? And I think that was like a big problem throughout the whole movie is they never told you anybody's name in that movie. That and is they, very they true. Were not and they had a lot of characters who didn't matter too so yeah it was yeah. a little crowded and you didn't know anybody's name yes that's a great way to describe it because then at the end of the movie uh one of the human characters that's like a kid oh, God, becomes like kind of important kid. and you're like why like i don't know this kid's name like i guess he's kind of been there the whole time yes. but i don't i don't know anything about him and so the humans can talk in this movie unlike in the 68 version but like they barely do, and they don't have anything to say because they're all, you know, stupefied by the situation that they're in. But yeah, like, it, it's weird because Mark Wahlberg's character doesn't have a lot of, of a foundation from which he can change. And then the one time that he does get a chance to change, like, it's kind of a running gag in the movie that he calls apes monkeys, and a bunch <laughs> of apes, like, call him out for it and I think it's supposed to be like you know treat people with respect right mm -hmm. call people what they want to be called which I think is a very modern and correct way of viewing language mm -hmm. right and then at the end of the movie he's like fuck it these monkeys you know and it's like no you didn't learn anything and it makes him just seem like a piece of shit and also yes. it makes it, the writing seem really bad I thought like he was a very I didn't think, like, Mark Wahlberg's acting was terrible. The character was so underdeveloped and underwritten that uh, that really... That hurt the movie, I think. 
I do agree. And I'm struggling to figure out, like, how were they establishing his character at the beginning? And the one word I can think of is, like, foolhardy. Because the whole reason he ends up on the planet is because he's not patient enough Mm -hmm. to see if the chimp goes anywhere. It's a little silly to have um, a main character with no real character arc. And you could tell that there were moments where they tried to, like, make it something. He's supposed to have a moment of, like... I'm not a hero, like, I I led all these people to their deaths, you know? And it just doesn't land, because it's like, I have no idea what you want, you know? All you did was, like, fuck up, and then, like, try to get out. And you didn't seem to, like, care about it, you know? He never shows any emotion about anything. Yeah. And so, it just, like, none of those... Well, he saves the kid. But I'm pretty much disappointed in his character. Not in his acting, but, yeah, in the lack of there being a reason to cheer for him aside from the fact that he's a main character in an action movie. Right. All he wants to do is go home. That's exactly right. And then he ends up in this whole world conflict that's going to change the shape of their society and he's just like, I peace, I'm going to hop in my spaceship and go Well, maybe you've changed my mind. I mean, because what you just said, like, I just want to go home, I feel like that can be a very emotionally resonant motivation Mm -hmm. and maybe it is Mark Wahlberg didn't, didn't maybe convey he didn't, that in the right way? Yeah. Maybe. I mean, I don't want to blame him because I, mean, I think there were... it could be anywhere from writing to, to editing, too. Yeah. I don't know what the problem was there. Because there were obviously script problems. And maybe Mark Wahlberg wasn't ready for that big a role, you know? It also... It was tough to figure out if he was... Like, how he fit in the conflict of the movie... Because Helena Bonham Carter tries to solve it when she goes and, like, offers herself to General Fade. And then there's a whole thing between the the two gorillas facing each other off. Can we talk about that? Because that was dope as fuck. We can, but uh, just to to finish, all of that serves to have Mark Wahlberg's character fade into the background. So I think that's part of what happened in the story as well. Yeah, well, I, I think it's a problem for a movie when... A subplot is more interesting than the main plot. And the gorilla's plot was you should have pretty cool. you should have interesting subplots, mm-hmm. but like it can't be better than the than the a plot, right? Mm-hmm. But yeah, the the, the do you want to describe the subplot? No, it's, that's all you. You love the those. Gorillas. I, I, I loved the like like I said, the gorillas looked the best, and I think they were the best acted, and I think they had the best storyline. So essentially, when Mark Wahlberg is first captured. He uh, he has a run-in with Thade, who has a second command. Do you remember his name? His name is Atar. Colonel Atar, right. Uh, and so you see him for the first time. And then Mark Wahlberg gets sold into slavery, and he gets bought by the senator's daughter. And from there, he runs into another gorilla who is also serving the family, uh, and his name is Kroll. And then throughout the movie, you find out that Kroll used to be an important uh, military officer until he was, he ran afoul of General Thade and then was disgraced and had to enter the senator's family's service because he had like no other options. But he's like a, he's like a good guy, yeah. right? And so he's one of the apes that helps them escape along with the senator's daughter. They escape the city, but he's like very conflicted about it. Uh, and he's played by Kerry Hiroyuki Tagawa, and yes. the the other um, gorilla is Michael Clark Duncan. And then you find out that 
the older gorilla had trained the younger gorilla who is now a disciple of Thade and then like there's this conflict and then it comes together at the end and it's just like that was awesome you know they like fight yeah and it's just like very satisfying and even though you know Atar wins he kills Atar wins who's the bad guy but Atar is one of the only people with character development Mm -hmm. in the movie he in killing his master I think sort of has a reckoning with the side he's chosen yeah and he's he's kind of the one that realizes at the end of the movie so i mean at the end of the movie mark Wahlberg had chased pericles through the lightning storm and it turns out that mark Wahlberg's character got to the planet of the apes first and then at the end of the movie during the final battle pericles shows up so all the apes think this is the second coming of their god and they stop fighting and pericles shows up and then Thade is like, why did we stop fighting? And Thade, like, keeps going. And then, you know, through there, uh, Mark Wahlberg is able to show, like, okay, we, this is my friend. Like, we can all be friends. And Thade is like, no. Even though Mark Wahlberg was just a dick to Pericles. Yeah, no, it doesn't make any sense. It, it's it, And it seems like a lie when he says it. Mm-hmm. And then Atar is like, oh, okay, you're right. Thade's an asshole. And he turns on fade so yeah you're right like he's the only person in the whole movie with character growth and i thought like you gotta give a shout out to michael clark duncan absolutely i i think like he's still recognizable you still know it's him like under the makeup and and the way that he like his presence and stuff and he was great and he literally is the only person with a character arc i have a hot take though are you ready i'm ready i can't prove this but My guess is that Tim Burton wanted the human characters to be toned down and maybe less interesting to make the ape characters more interesting and more realistic. But that's just just like a theory based on the fact that all the humans in the movie suck. The humans were incredibly confusing. And And boring. I would say they suck. There's one blonde woman whose hair is impeccably done despite... Her situation. I liked that because that's just like a, a classic Hollywood it's stupid so thing annoying. of like, oh, she's in rags, but like, you know, <laughs> she she can't talk, but like. But the thing is, she could talk. Okay, so they can talk in this movie. The, right. Yeah, the humans were so stupid, and they end up with a crew of like just a bunch of humans with them at one point, and none of them matter. Even the love interest blonde lady who's just making gaga eyes at him at the whole time. Like, they rarely ever talk. I don't think they ever have a one-on-one conversation. And then he just makes out with her before he hops on the spaceship. Infuriatingly stupid. Wait, so do you buy my theory? Do you think that he... That they were like, we need to make them terrible to make the apes more likable and believable? I think they just didn't think about the humans enough to realize that they were doing that. I think they knew they wanted to do stuff with the apes. Unintentionally, yes. But I want to talk about, as part of that, the humans didn't hardly talk, but they could talk. And I don't know why. Because in the 68 version, they can't talk. They literally can't make noise, which is a little weird that mm-hmm. they're not, like, even grunting or anything to try to, like, communicate. They just seem... And they're described as totally mute. The 2001 version, I thought... It was the same situation. 
No, they can totally But then, talk. like, people are just, like, talking. Which also makes... I mean, it makes a lot of the movie weird. But they, they talk very selectively. Mm-hmm. There's very little dialogue from the humans. And, uh... Yeah, I don't know why. Why they wouldn't be, like, yelling, like, Hey, free me! Or, like fuck you or anything they're just like standing there silently all the time well i thought it was weird correct me if i'm wrong but in 1968 they never explained why the humans can't talk right no supposedly the downfall of human society was nuclear war which Mm -hmm. isn't explicitly said so i find it a little annoying that that's in the synopsis of the movie but yeah why would it's not explicit but i think it's that's implied right that or environmental catastrophe but i guess those... i mean he rattles off like three possible reasons at one point of why well he says i think he says like there there could be like a plague or something yeah that stood out to me certainly living in the coronavirus pandemic yeah but i think that we can eliminate because like the landscape has changed you know it's just it's been two thousand years yeah, but how much does the land change in two thousand years? I don't know. But I mean, I like the much. way that, like, why would they have a forbidden zone if it wasn't some sort of ecological disaster? Oh, caused by nuclear. Either nuclear war or. Okay, I figured it was like climate change, but I guess this movie was right. Well, that's what I'm saying. Those are gotcha. two. Yeah. Those are the two options essentially. I want to talk about language because I thought it was really cool in the '68 version that they that the humans didn't talk, that Charlton Heston couldn't talk because of his neck injury and that that separated them from the apes and then when it's revealed like oh taylor can talk like it's such a you can talk you can talk talk. (laughs) yes but it's such a like it's blowing dr zero and cornelius's mind right like cornelius keeps calling him the missing link in evolution but it's just it's destroying their their very notions of you know who they are and what sets them apart from the humans and i like that it just seemed very contrived like we obviously have to have a time when he is observing ape society as an animal you Mm -hmm. know and the only way that works is if for whatever contrivance he can't talk and can't communicate and so it just seemed like a contrivance to me and I thought that was the worst part of the movie. There's no conflict when he doesn't have a voice. It's just frustration. But it's peeling apart the, the layers of their society. Like you yeah. said, it's just him observing the world he's landed in. And I think it I think it works great. Language overall, though, in these movies, obviously you have to suspend your disbelief that these apes are talking in current modern English. Uh, and the fact that the astronaut wouldn't be like, why am I on this other planet and people are speaking English. Well, do you think that's like a, if you were watching this in the 60s and you used to like Star Trek or something, that like, oh, they crash land on an alien planet and the aliens is like a human with like a, right. a nose that looks a little different and he's like, hey guys, you know, like, are you just used to that? And it's like, okay, that's what aliens look like. So you don't think like, oh, maybe this is an indication that these apes are related to, you know, us and that it's actually Earth. You know? Yeah. But maybe you don't think about that because, like, you're trained not to. Yeah. And I think it's still a current, easy thing to suspend disbelief about, even in, like, modern productions. Although, nowadays, of course, they're all like, what's the thing in Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy? It's like, put this worm in your ear and you'll understand. Yeah. Now there's always, like, (laughs) a very specific contrivance of, like, 
Yeah. You know. Uh, Which is like annoying that we even have to do that in order to. Or like in uh, in the good place, how they're all in heaven and they're all like, we're speaking different languages, but it's all going to be English because right. it doesn't matter. But then they go back to Earth at some point and they can all communicate, and it's like, how is this working? And you just kind of like ignore that. that, you know? Wow. But I think like you know, movies train us. Or, you know, The Hunt for Red October, he's reading the uh, the Bible, and he's reading it in Russian, and on one word that's the same in both languages, like it starts zooming out. Now we're hearing oh. it in English, but it's it's still like they're speaking Russian. I like that. I've never seen that movie. Yeah, but I'm saying like you like now we expect like there has to be an explanation, you know, for the yeah. most part. But I don't you know, know if they got if, if in 1968 maybe they were like it doesn't matter why these apes are speaking English like, and it would never occur to me that that's part of what makes them related to Earth. But wouldn't it be fun to take this as an opportunity to question language and communication more? Like, you know who we should have had making these movies? Tolkien. Because he's all about language, right? Hmm. He would have had a ball, right? And this was another question that I looked into with, uh, with the original source material in the, the hmm. story by Bull. The apes are speaking their own language, but they managed to teach some words to to the main character, um, whose name I think is Ulysses in the book. And I guess he's just, he is of a level of intelligence beyond other humans in that world, because it's more about like humans having wasted their intelligence. I don't know. I right. think Bull had his own sort of things, ideas with his story. I think with Planet of the Apes, there is that opportunity to ask, how do we communicate? And I think that people are ready to explore that more. I think it would be cool to do like maybe a totally ape language or maybe a semi-English language so that there's some partial understanding and it's sort of like, why does the main character like feel like he can understand what they're saying? You know, kind of like hearing uh, pig Latin or something, hmm. you know? But I think there's some cool episodes of TV that have talked about when you can't speak, still being able to communicate. Buffy the Vampire Slayer, mm. obviously. Hush, excellent episode. BoJack Horseman has the underwater episode. It's not my favorite. People love it. And then Only Murders in the Building did it uh, in their first season. You remember that? Mm-mm. It was like uh, because there were there was the deaf character, but multiple people knew sign Oh, language. yeah, we followed the deaf character. Yeah. yeah. So I just I think it would make it a very different movie. But if there was more of a focus on like how can we communicate in the first place and having the the humans somehow have a, a yeah. figure out how to communicate with apes it wouldn't make sense why the protagonists can figure it out and all the humans who've been living on the planet haven't figured it out well but. i think it would be more interesting if like he was deaf and like Ooh. couldn't hear what they were doing so it's like in in 1968 in the movie he could 
here they were speaking English and he's like, fuck, I can speak that language. I should be able to do this, you know? But if he was deaf and they were just like communicating and he could observe, like, I see something is going on, but like, I don't know how to get your attention and tell you, like, I can communicate too. He keeps pretending he can talk. That bright eyes is remarkable. He keeps trying to form words. You know what they say, human see, human do. All right, well, I think we covered both of the movies pretty extensively, so why don't we move on to talking about which of the movies we liked better. In many ways, the work of a critic is easy. We risk very little, yet enjoy a position over those who offer up their work and their selves to our judgment. I can't keep myself from just viewing 1968 as the authentic movie. And I think there are some things in 1968 that are so cool, <laughs> like the astronaut who died in hypersleep in that moment is just like, <laughs> like it's got these moments and ideas that I think are, are so cool. And because it's from 68, I feel like I can forgive it. It's weird things like, Charlton Heston's really creepy laugh for like a solid minute right weird. after they landed. <laughs> yeah, it even cuts away from him so that they can keep the laugh going. Really weird, but I just, I feel like I can forgive those things in films made earlier and yeah. maybe that's maybe that's ignorance on my part and I should be more critical no I understand and I think like I, I think what annoyed me about that the laugh was one thing but uh, when you see the female astronaut I was like I know she's gonna be dead and I know it's gonna hit us with a Bang! I know oh, the like, music oh my so god like why like it, it's just it's so cliche yeah you know, especially for, like, those old movies that, like, mm -hmm. are you going to show us, like, a skeleton and it's going to be, like, ah! <laughs> yeah. it's so stupid, yeah. you know? There's so much little tinkling-a-link, boom-boom-boom. Well, <laughs> actually, I, we didn't get the chance to even discuss, like, the music. I liked the music of the, uh, the original movie, the beginning less so because it was very... It was know, all those it was cliches. Very, it was all cliched, very dated, but then I think as as they got into the planet and got uh, abducted by the ape society, I thought it was very cool how they incorporated like the, the like all that stuff into the music. Uh, all right, that's and true. like it became, it sort of became less uh, cliched and less in your face about it, but more culturally apish. I wonder. You know? Yeah, okay, so that must have been a conscious decision. Once you're oh, in yeah. ape society, the music has changed from yeah. the movie of the music of cinema that you're familiar with to now ape society music. Oh, I'd yeah, I think so. I think, like, and I don't think that's an excuse for making it so ridiculous at the beginning of the movie, but I think it was still... Well, they didn't know it was ridiculous. They didn't view it as ridiculous in the 60s. They might I'm have. Sure. I, I wonder was there if... Like, Old hat. Well, I wonder if the uh, the composer um, was like intentionally doing very genre specific 
like musical cues and stuff uh, like that. In order to then subvert it. In order to then like do your own thing for the rest of the movie, mm-hmm. you know. But I also liked the score in the in the Tim Burton one, which is Danny Elfman who does so mm-hmm. many of the the Tim Burton scores. I mean, it definitely hyped me up. They did a title sequence before the movie began, mm-hmm. and I was like, "Oh, here we go! Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. Strap in!" Yeah. To me, it sounded so much like the Men in Black score that I was like, "All right, you know, I feel like I've heard this before." Also, um, also Danny Elfman. Yeah, like you yeah. know, two or three years beforehand. Um, but it, you know, I thought it was good. Yeah. Well, and it didn't have the boing. You know. <laughs> the boing was silly, but I think I don't know. And I did. I saw the movie as a kid, so there's definitely that. You always remember what it felt like to see that skeleton, you know. Mm-hmm. So I think that's cool. In uh, in the 2001 version, there's a lot of silly scenes, and I'm not forgiving of them. Like, oh my god, the one we get like a a scene when he's escaping. We talked about how he's going through the the ape hives so he's going through a bunch of people's homes and everybody's just doing silly stuff but the worst is there's a couple doing some like foreplay and the wife has come out yeah the senator who was at the party the the big orangutan and his wife comes out in like a little like ape negligee and then she climbs up onto the bed and then just starts like gyrating like an ape does though like you've seen at the zoo where they're just like whoo, 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 whoo. and it's just like that's that's foreplay for them but it's just it was uh, a little awkward to watch so yeah and that was just in line with a lot of the humor of the movie which i can see being funny for someone but it's just not funny for me it's the same as with the like all of the remember that they're monkeys gags with the they're not monkeys i'm sorry they're apes where like they're riding with their their feet and whatnot um, they're playing cards and hiding stuff up their sleeves. That's just. It I'm glad very they did that because it's so stupid to have a Planet of the Apes where the apes are basically just humans. You yeah, know? I don't disagree That's with so that. Peaceful. It was just the humor of it that that didn't land for me. Yeah, and that's that's purely preference. I don't like. I don't even think it's stupid humor. It's just not not mine. Yeah, world building. I think I think they could both work on it. Honestly, I actually sort of agree because I think they both did a good job in their own way. It's so weird because it's called Planet of the Apes and you're expecting to learn what the Planet of the Apes is and for me to be like, nah, B minus. <laughs> right, right. But I think like what's cool about 1968 is that uh, like Dr. Zayas is like kind of the secret keeper, right? Mm-hmm. And you don't realize that until even halfway through the movie and then for the second half of the movie you're sort of uncovering the secrets of like the ape society and i think that's very fun and like the ultimate secret is that it's earth right right and you discover that at the very end of the movie so it's almost like world building in reverse you know that you you get an idea of what ape society looks like and then you go back and you say like why is it like this why is it like this you know um and in the 2001 version I thought they did a really good job of incorporating it throughout the movie and like sometimes pretty subtle in a movie that wasn't very subtle at any other time. Like, you know, the first times that we hear about Simos, you know, the oh, yeah. supposed ancestor that came from... From the sky. From the sky to found their civilization. 
Uh, the first time we hear about that, it's, you know, sort of like an offhand remark, and then that comes into play later. But then, like, I thought it was cool that, like, the symbols, all the symbols of the uh, ape society were, like, they came from Mark oh. Wahlberg's ship. Huh. So, like, I don't know if you, like, yeah. the ship kind of looked like a cross, except, like, the cross part was, like, a, a semicircle. Uh-huh. Right? Except it came out toward you. Right. But then their symbol was, like, a cross with the semicircle that went, like, up like that. Where'd all their flames come from? I, I'm not sure, but I assume also from the Oberon. Yeah. So, it all, all their, like, symbols came from the Oberon. But, like, that was never explained. The only thing that was specifically explained, which was really stupid, was the no-go zone was called Kalima. And then he got there, and it was only called that because, like, there was dust on something. Yeah. And he just wiped it off. Caution animals in Caution live animals, yeah. Yeah. And it was just, and so half of it was covered with dust, so it just had half the letters. And he just wiped (laughs) it off. And it was like, how long has that dust been there? Because it seems like. It would probably not hang out. Yeah, I don't know. God, that really was dumb. idiotic. That was like maybe the stupidest part of the movie in a movie with a lot of stupid things. I don't know. I think the Jedi jumping might have been the stupidest part. Opinion. <laughs> it got. It got to me. Yeah. Right, okay. So David, which one did you like better? I don't know because I think like the correct answer is obviously 1968, right? But like. I think that the Tim Burton one gets like way too much hate. Like I don't think that I don't think that like, it's a terrible movie, you know? So I feel like just to be a contrarian, I'd want to say two thousand one, but to be a realist, like, I don't know. I think uh, I think they're both good. Even though they're both adapted from this French novel, the two thousand one version would not exist without the nineteen sixty eight version. And even certainly, though certainly. even though it's an in the credits, it said adapted from this novel. It's really a remake of the movie, and so it, it's just a little. It's a little hard to say. Like it has its own merits outside of that movie because it's so much a reaction to that and so much a, an homage. To well, it. but it's interesting that it takes things from the the original novel that the first didn't, and I think that's that's the thing with most of the movies that we talk about. Sure, the second wouldn't wouldn't exist without the first, but usually. It does seem that the process is let's go back to the source and take our own spin from there. Sometimes. I think when the 2001 version came out, there's like a lot of reasons to dislike it. And I think the main reason is because the human characters, especially Mark Wahlberg's Leo Davidson, have like no reason for being there whatsoever, Mm -hmm. you know? And that's a big problem. That is a massive problem. Outside of that, like, there's a lot of cool stuff happening. And I think that there are problems with the 1968 version that maybe we want to gloss over. And, you know, I don't know mm-hmm. how I would have seen this in 1968. I can't go back in time to 20 years before I was born and, and watch this movie. Like, how much of this movie, like, if you're watching this, are you just like, oh, man, that twist was crazy? Or, like, wasn't it cool to see the Planet of the Apes? Or just, like... The Planet of the Apes is just such a great concept. It's such a great title. It's such mm-hmm. a great concept. It's like, I want to see that movie. I obviously want to see that movie. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, how much of, of doing that in 1968 is just that experience versus is it actually a good movie? And I think there are good things about it, but I think it's a little bit of an unfair comparison. So it's hard for me to 
I see yeah. what you mean. But still, I think 68's a, a better... It's a cleaner story, too. I mean, I know we talked... I know we talked about the themes and maybe had some differences of opinion as to what themes were jumping out, but I felt more like there were messages in 68 that resonated. I guess you didn't like the whole he was mute and discovering their society as sort of an observer, but I really liked that sort of reveal. And then he reveals himself. I I just, I enjoyed the development of the story. Not to mention before the his time with the apes, the establishment of the world. I know we talked about that earlier, but them mm. traveling over the land and the conversations he has, uh, particularly with Landon, who he does not get along with, was really a, like a good way of establishing who you're with and where you are, which I think is important oh, yeah. for a movie to do. No, and I 68 think that does was, it so well. That was like one of the best parts of the movie. Is yeah. Like I said, not quite James Bond and Vesper, but like <laughs> it is on that level of like... You know, I'm going to needle you about what you're about and you're going to give it back to me about what I'm about, you know? And, like, that makes it fun because, like, as the audience, we need to know what they're about, right? Especially the main character. We don't care about Landon or whatever. But, like... Oh, but when you find out Landon's been lobotomized, that was another scene that really stuck with me from my childhood. I'm like, oh, my God, what they do to that man? Yeah. That was fucked. That was fucked. But yeah, we need to know, and they do it in an entertaining way. And we never get that with the Mark Wahlberg uh, character, you know, Leo Davidson. Yeah. Um, Did you see either of them as like a Jesus figure? I feel like they were explicitly trying to draw that in the 2001 version of like, you know, he comes down from the sky. Oh, certainly like deus ex machina ran through my head, but I didn't think about Jesus. Oh, I just, well, I think, like, in terms of if you see it, which I, you, you weren't thinking about it, but, like, if you see it as, like, a Roman parallel. Oh, sure, the second know, coming of Christ. Yeah, they, yeah. They, they kind of see, like, oh, like, we, we thought that this might happen, you know, and he comes down from the huh. sky, and he's there to save them all, and then he's like, oh, yeah, I'm not really going to save you. But I think it also at one point he's... he's more like, ooh, 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 ooh. <laughs> Are you talking about Mark Wahlberg or... <laughs> About, about Pericles. Pericles. Yeah. Well, it's unclear. I think, like, even that, I think they were trying to set up that, that parallel. But then it's muddled because, yeah, you don't know whether, like, is is Mark Wahlberg the uh, Jesus for humanity or is Pericles the Jesus for, like, the whole world, you know? Oh, I would say Pericles, definitely. Or both of them together. But both of them survive. So it's not like... But I think, like, at one point, Mark Wahlberg's like, oh, we got 72 hours to get out of here. And it's like, all right, you know. And also the ship, like, literally looked like a cross, except with the... the all right, zero. yeah, all right. I'm, I'm buying everything that you're, uh, you're selling here. I just hadn't... hadn't I don't uh, even know, like, what, what's the argument supposed to be now? Oh, we're talking about which one was better? Yes. Although, if you're ready, if you were to make the movie yourself, or if the movie were to be remade now... What would need to be different? What ideas would you have? I've got the most scathingly brilliant idea. I think it's it's a little hard to answer that question because they made so many fucking Planet of the Apes <laughs> movies. Yeah. And I think I was like reading... nine? I guess there's, there's five, six... Yeah, there's nine now, right? Mm-hmm. 
Uh, and I guess I was reading a little bit about the um, the sequels to the 1968 one. So they made five of those movies, so four sequels. Oh, I know nothing about them. And all of them had, like, interesting ideas, you know? Hmm. And then, you know, eventually they started re- thinking about either doing another sequel or remaking it or whatever that eventually became the 2001 version. And so uh, there's so many of those different ideas. And then afterwards, they remade it as, you know, a prequel trilogy with uh, Andy Serkis as, you know, the, the first ape that that becomes intelligent. I don't know. There's just, like, there's so many ideas out there that, like, I don't think I can have original idea. But I can run through a few of the ideas that I discovered online. But just, like, stop me if, if something, if you hear something you like, okay? Ooh, all right. Okay, so I think in the 80s, uh, Fox and a writer named Adam Rifkin, uh, he wanted to make an alternate sequel to the first movie with a human slave rebellion against a Roman civilization-like ape civilization. So it was going to be, I think by the time Gladiator came out, he was like, I wanted to do that, but with apes. That's kind of close to what we got with two. That's pretty close to what we got eventually, 20 years later. But what do you think? You like that? I... Let me hear the next one. Okay, so this is still in the 80s. A few years later, mm-hmm. they uh, uh, approached Peter Jackson and his writing partner, Ooh. Fran Walsh, who later would obviously become famous for doing Lord of the Rings. And their idea was uh, ape society is in a renaissance, ape civilization is split over sort of the artistic revolution and like new art forms and artistic expression becoming popular humans are revolting and liberal ideas about art and you know human rights and the enlightenment are are spreading Hmm. what do you think uh i got hung up on the idea of art and like the way that uh like italian society tried to manage art or i should say like catholic society tried to manage art um back in the day and well yeah i mean i think that's i think that's a sort of uh unmined area of human history but it might not be super interesting to well that's a direct i think that's a direct response to the 1968 movie where they're a theocratic society and like Hmm. the i the ideas of science and of religion are so intertwined but so heavily regulated right you know so i think uh having a renaissance which is allowing new ideas and even the people that are nominally in charge which is the church or the orangutans you know kind of losing their grip on what's allowed to be thought i think that's interesting i guess i don't see how the human element fits into that story since it's like anything that's going to be ape v ape it's like okay so what are the humans doing yeah and like is it like, oh, these apes are going to be like the saviors of the humans? Because that's not like... Yeah, I guess like, so you have the aspect either. that is art and you have the aspect that is sort of the enlightenment with respect mm-hmm. to, you know, quote unquote human rights. And so I think that's where those two things would come into play. But I don't know how you would combine them into like one holistic thematic idea, right? I think it could be more interesting if there were renegade human societies outside of ape society now like that's where humans exist and there are apes who want to have connections with that society Mm -hmm. and know the the history that 
it used to be a human planet and now it's an ape planet but we're sort of cohabitating with humans but the theocratic autocratic orangutans or you know whoever maybe we we mix it up a bit more but whatever apes are filling that role are still being like truth deniers and trying to cut off contact with those human societies on the fringes of ape society i don't know I think that's interesting. That takes it out of like a one-to-one comparison of the Renaissance, but... Well, it's almost like um, the Inquisition or something. Oh, sure, yeah. Should I keep going to the next one? Yeah, let's hear the next one. All right. The next one is, um, I think, Oliver Stone at some point. I think around 1990 into the early 90s, he was attached. He did JFK, Wall Street. Did he do the really big Alexander the Great movie? Yes. 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 Uh, the George Bush movie that came out like 15 years ago. Uh, but at one point he was attached. So his idea was in the present, we're facing a calamity and humans discover that all human events were predicted in code in the Bible or in some other human text. Mm-hmm. And so now there's like a plague that's threatening humanity and the hero has to go back in time to the Stone Age to find out, like, how this was encoded into our cultural mm-hmm. texts, like the Bible. Um, and then the hero goes back in time and discovers that there's a war between apes and humans. And it's eventually revealed that the current virus that's affecting us today was created by apes, and it was kind of like a, I don't know, a sleeper wow. cell or something. A very convoluted. Uh, and I think that... Between this version and the previous version, at some point, Arnold Schwarzenegger was supposed to be the star, so he was like a geneticist that was supposed to go back in time, which is like hilarious because there was definitely a period in time where Arnold Schwarzenegger was every scientist imaginable, and he was doing everything, and he was like, yes, yes, I have a PhD, (laughs) I was born in Fort Wayne, Indiana, I have a PhD from Harvard, you know? And I think it was, it would have been along the lines of that. So I don't know how it would have ended, but what do you think of that? I, like, my whole body was rejecting that idea at first. But I gotta say, the idea of time travel as what brings him to the planet of the apes is cool. I definitely had... But the, that planet of the apes is Earth. Right, as, yeah, yeah, in the past. Yeah. No, I'm totally with it. Yeah. It does make me remember something that was... A key difference in my mind between these two movies the 68 and the 2001 Mm -hmm. 1968 they're in hypersleep and there's the uh what's what's it called there's time dilation so that's why they have only aged a year but Mm -hmm. 2000 years has passed and i always thought that idea was really cool and then it's just like a wormhole in an electric storm in 2001 yeah and i hate wormholes but I don't know. Maybe I was just ready to hate that wormhole no, because no. I was expecting hypersleep. No, I think you're right. But like, it's silly that they get onto the planet and then the other guy's like, well, maybe your theories are wrong. And it's like, dude, you're here on this planet. Like, <laughs> what do you think is going no, on? No, I liked that because that was Landon who said that, right? And we it is revealed to us that Landon is not like a scientist or even really like that good of an astronaut. He's sort of just, he's like a guy who tests well top of his class right isn't that what taylor said Mm -hmm. and then he's sort of like his ego and his reputation sort of like 
trapped him in this position where he ends up on this mission. Well, I will he's say... He's never going to see his family or anyone again, and then he gets lobotomized on the planet. I will Apes. say that he was a good foil for, uh, for Taylor. For Taylor, yeah. And I wish... I wish that both of them, um, so it was, it was Landon and it was, what was the other guy's name? Dodge. Dodge. Dodge got along with everybody and just wanted to learn more science. Yeah, we didn't get a lot of Dodge and then he died in the, the, um... I think you got a good sense of him as a character though. But yeah, he didn't, he wasn't part of those conversations. Or but arguments. I think it would have been interesting to see the three of them go through stuff together, you know? But, and we didn't really get that. But yeah, so that that's the that's the Oliver Stone version with Arnold Schwarzenegger, where he would have gone back in time and figured out that the current plague is something that apes did and then encoded into our Bible. I wasn't clear exactly on that plot point, but especially because you know the Bible was not written when apes were. Yeah. I, I don't know. Well, it could be an idea of I don't know, an oral myth. tradition or something. Or yeah. yeah, okay, who's the universal myth guy? Um, Campbell. Campbell. Uh, yeah, that's interesting. I and yeah, like I said, I think uh, time Actually, travel is at least as cool as wormholes. Well, one of these at least had um, this idea of like racial memory, which I think is more of. Hmm. I don't know if that's a. Uh, that's a. Wasn't that in the original? That's a Carl book? Young thing, I think. Oh, it might have been in the original book, but yeah, it's a, it's a. Obviously, that's not a real thing necessarily. I think there's uh, there's other related things that are real, but uh, his idea of that was not real. But I think Oliver Stone's imagination maybe went there. But it does. It reminded me a lot of the Transformers, the first Transformers movie. Uh, so I don't think that it's totally bunk as like, oh, this could be an action movie. You know, I, I think we're. I'm glad we're past the point where we get Arnold Schwarzenegger to play every every role. All right, let's hear the next one. All right, so the last one I got before before uh, it it got to Tim Burton was Chris Columbus, who pirates, pirates, no Harry Potter. Yeah, he did the first two Harry Potter movies. Uh, so his idea is an ape astronaut crash lands in New York City carrying a deadly virus. Uh, the heroes, who I think worked for the um, the CDC or something, they end up traveling to the aliens, the ape aliens' home planet, to find answers. And then they get there, and it's a planet of the apes. And so they have to like struggle through all that. And then eventually, at the end of the movie, they find the cure, and they go back, and they come home, and Earth is now a planet of the apes. So it's like a you know the twist huh. ending, which I think is pretty dope. Oh, yeah? I like that. I think that's cool, you know? I mean, because that's essentially the twist of the Mark Wahlberg movie, is that he comes back to Earth, and they'd got there before him. He's like, oh, shit. Like, I was all trying to come back to Earth this whole time, and that was the Planet of the Apes. I should admit, I know I mentioned this earlier, but I should fully admit that I did not understand the 2001 movie. I thought that... Every time he entered the wormhole, it just spat him back on Earth. So I thought he had left Earth, he lands on the planet of the apes, but it's actually Earth. He thinks he leaves it, but he really just lands there again a couple centuries later, and it's still the planet of the apes, but more advanced now. Apparently I just didn't understand the 2001 movie at all. Well, it's funny because I was looking it up, and I think I didn't understand it as a kid, but I 
pretty well understood it the other day. Tim Roth didn't. He played uh, Fade, the mm-hmm. the villain of the movie. He didn't understand it. He was like, I saw it twice, and I still can't tell you what happened. But then Helena Bonham Carter was like, Oh yeah, it's really easy. Like they go through this thing, and then the people that go through it first get their last, right? So the wow. people that go through oh. the electric storm first is Pericles, right? And he arrives on the planet last, and then, then Mark, Mark Wahlberg, Wahlberg and, and then, then the whole space station. And the space station has been there for thousands of years, yeah. right? Uh, and the same thing happens in reverse, presumably. Mark Wahlberg's character goes through the uh, electrical storm, then and then at some somewhere. point, we never see this, so this is kind of like the, the plot hole, not in like a bad way, but just that we don't know. The plot hole is that, like, how did he escape and then get back to... Yeah, how did Thade escape and then create a spaceship to launch himself after Mark Wahlberg? Which is why I assumed he just never did that. I assumed he escaped reestablished himself as the leader of society and when Mark Wahlberg spits himself it's back the onto planet. the planet again that's all Thade has done all he did was manage to get out of the box he didn't manage to figure out space travel Yeah, which I think would be really difficult considering the only person on the planet who's experienced space travel is now a chimpanzee who can't speak I understand that I misinterpreted the story that 2001 was telling but I don't feel bad about my interpretation of the story. Anyhow, all of those ideas were pretty interesting. I mean, I think I like the Renaissance one probably the most, mm. but maybe because it's the most basic and honestly... The most religiously... <laughs> yeah, okay, obviously that too. Um, but I just, I honestly, I feel like, are you still remaking Planet of the Apes at some point with some of those, those ideas? I mean, I think anytime there's a Planet of the Apes, like, you are remaking Planet of the Apes, right? Yeah. Yes. Yes. I will give you that. I will say, if I was remaking Planet of the Apes, there's just a few things I would want to do. All right, what's the idea? Uh, Take 68's, the care that 68 did with establishing the planet um, visually and, like, entering it slowly... You don't need to rush right into being abducted by apes. So have that sort of sense of mystery and discovery Mm -hmm. um, and linger on that. And I liked having the the crew of astronauts. Like you said, um, Landon being a foil for Taylor. I think Mark Wahlberg's character was was really hampered by just being him experiencing everything, at least at first. I mean, obviously Taylor ends up alone when Landon lobotomizes and Dodge dies. Leo Davidson didn't have anybody to talk to and like I said it was just a problem throughout the movie where nobody was talking to each other so we didn't get anybody's names yeah it was really weird and then at the end of the movie they're like oh well this little kid is important and he's like but what is that kid's name what a waste of screen time it was so stupid and like even the the like the woman who I guess at the end it's supposed to be like the Nova replacement and she's Mm -hmm. a love interest it's like, why, why do we care about her? Yeah. She hasn't done anything. Honestly, I thought that it was like, here's going to be this hot blonde who's following him around, but actually he's either into Helena Bonham Carter's character or, like, at the very least, he's just not that guy. Like, Right. You know? And so I was really disappointed. And then at the end he's like, I'm going to keep my him. options open by kissing both of <laughs> yes. them. Oh, God. What was I saying? I was... Okay, so the things that I would want to do... I know I already mentioned language, but yeah, I would want to have more of an exploration of how are they communicating and like how has society 
how has the safe society developed? Like you were talking about world building. Really get some thinkers on that and take good care with language and think about communication and its role in the movie. Like it should really stand out as part of the movie. And then just clean up the themes. I think humanity is the, or human nature, is for me what the theme should be. Obviously I liked the the religious theocracy, like whatever society it ends up being, I think really at its core is just like what can lead to the downfall of society and like have that be sprinkled into the, the ape society more clearly as mm-hmm. part of the theme of the movie. But overall, like, yeah, I just want to keep seeing this movie. And I don't think it's been made to its its greatest potential yet. So, Well, I think you're right. But now I, I almost think it's, like, too late because... Because we've had nine movies? We've had nine movies and we've had so many twists. And yeah. I just don't want another Planet of the Apes with a twist because I just don't think that it, it's going to be interesting. You know? Mm-hmm. I don't think that you can do it... Everything's expected. Anybody that's going to go see the 10th Planet of the Apes movie probably knows about the Statue of Liberty, right? Right. Honestly, and you you and I have only seen 68 and 2001. Maybe one of the seven others is the best Planet well, of the Apes I've movie. Seen, we just don't know. I've seen the first of the, the new series. Oh, you've seen Rise of Planet of the Apes with you, James Franco and... Uh, either that one or Dawn, whichever one came first. I think Rise came first. I haven't, I haven't seen it. Is it good? Yeah, it's good. That's what I was telling you. Do you think you. it's better than these two? Uh, I think it's better than the 2001 version, yeah. I don't think I ever need to watch the 2001 one again. To play us out, uh, the musical. All right. Thanks for listening. This has been Claire. And David. Help, the human's about to escape. Get your paws off me, you dirty ape! (gasps) He can talk. He can talk, 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 he can talk! I can sing! Ooh, help me, Dr. Zayas! Dr. Zayas, Dr. Zayas! Dr. Zayas, Dr. Zayas! Dr. Zayas, Dr. Zayas! Oh, Dr. Zayas! Dr. Zayas, Dr. Zayas. What's wrong with me? I think you're crazy. Want a second opinion? You're also lazy. Dr. Zayas, Dr. Zayas. Dr. Zayas, Dr. Zayas. Dr. Zayas, Dr. Zayas. Oh, Dr. Zayas. Dr. Zayas, Dr. Zayas. Can I play the piano anymore? Of course you can. Well, I couldn't before. I hate every ape I see From chimpanzee to chimpanzee No, you'll never make a monkey out of me Oh my God, I was wrong It was Earth 